Bible. My name is Hannah and I serve with our student life team. Just a few announcements as we get started this morning. Christmas is quickly approaching and we are so excited to celebrate together the birth of our Savior. We will hold several candlelight services on the 23rd and the 24th and one bilingual service on Christmas Day at 11 a.m. This is a wonderful opportunity for us to invite friends, family, and coworkers. So pick up some free invitation cards in the atrium that you can share with them. Check out weinbible.org slash Christmas for service times, as well as childcare information and Shine special needs programming. Throughout this month, we are gathering on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. in the East Worship Center to pray together. And let's continue praying for that one family member, one neighbor, and one coworker that they would come to know Christ. Enrollment for current preschool families is now open for the 2023-2024 school year. If you do not currently have a child in our preschool but are interested in registering, enrollment for new students will open to Wheaton Bible Church members on December 15th. Enrollment is not exclusive for those who attend Wheaton Bible Church, so if you know of a family that would be interested in our preschool program, they can enroll starting January 4th. Check out wheatonbiblepreschool.org for more information. Finally, as a reminder, it is vital that we as a church family move forward into 2023 from a solid financial foundation by supporting the commitment we made back in January regarding our ministry financial plan. Through your generosity and faithfulness, God is at work here and around the world. For all the ways to give, check out wheatonbible.org give. That's all I have for you this morning. So thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday with us and we hope you have an amazing holiday season. Morning, church. Psalm 90, verse 14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Today we're talking about joy, and despite the pain, suffering, and the sin of this world, we know in our hearts, and we want to continue to experience more and more that satisfaction and the joy that comes from Jesus and from his redeeming and restoring love for each of us. Amen? So that's what we're here to celebrate this morning as God's family. Let's stand and proclaim that joy that he's given to us.
Luke 2, 8 through 11. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This week, we turn our focus to joy. Words like joy, joyful, rejoice, glad, and gladness appear over 500 times in the Bible. Our God is a joyful God. Our gospel is a message of great joy. The Savior is born, Emmanuel, God with us. He himself is our reason for joy, not favorable or happy circumstances, not the abundance of material possessions, not the absence of adversity or suffering in this life. We are able to be a suffering yet always rejoicing kind of people because our joy is ultimately not dependent on anything but Christ himself and what he has already done for us. He has taken away our sins and given us eternal life. We are no longer slaves or spiritual orphans, but children of God. He has given us his Holy Spirit, and now we are one with him forever. In his presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. We, we rejoice as we light the third Advent candle and remember that God sent his Son to the world so that we may have eternal joy in him.
continue to sing.
As we continue in this attitude of worship, I'm going to ask the ushers to please come to the front. And as they move into the front, I want to remind you that as a church, we believe that um, giving sacrificially is one of the ways in how we worship the Lord. If you are new to the church, please do not feel obligated in participating in this. For those of us that belong to this church, there's three different ways to give. You could always give online to go to wheatonbible.org slash give. You could always give your offering as we pass the plates. Or for those of you that are worshiping with us online, you could always send your offerings to the uh, office of the church. You may pass the plates. As we pass the plates, I, I wanted to take a few seconds to share something with you that we just uh, experienced as a church uh, yesterday. Uh, if you have been part of the church for the last few months, you know that we have been promoting and talking to you guys about something we call the Christmas store. How many of you guys are familiar with that? Uh, this is once a year as a church, we, we come together and we gather gifts and we use those gifts to give uh, to support our people in our community. And today, I want to share with you a little bit of what the Lord did with, with us and through us uh, yesterday at the Christmas store. Number one, I want to share with you that uh, we got the chance to serve 195 families yesterday as a church. That means that we gave 195 families the dignity of buying a gift for their kids. Yesterday, the church was able to contribute to... Um, to the gift of children of 100 and 494 children to receive a gift, meaning that this Christmas Day, or this even in a couple of weeks, there will be 494 kids rejoicing because their parents got to buy them a gift, maybe many of them for the first time. I also want us to rejoice a little bit because. Because of your generosity, we had about 123, 193 people serving. That means that there was 1,222 hours of serving all Saturday from, I think, 7 o'clock in the morning to 4.30 p.m. Now, that's just the stuff that we were able to give and support and things like that. But this is the really cool part of, the, of all of this. We got the chance to do 98 specific prayers that people gave us. Many of them people that do not have a relationship with, saving relationship with Jesus Christ just yet. We were able to give 12 Bibles for people to read. And seven people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All because we were participating in a Christmas store. See, uh, as a church, we believe that we have been called to proclaim the gospel with our words. And to demonstrate the, the power of the gospel with our deeds. Christmas store is an example of that. And I want to thank you for all of, the, all, of the, all of you guys that participated in this. I want to thank you for all of those, those of you that gave actually a gift. I want to remind you that the, 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 that the money that we collected through Christmas store goes back to Puente del Pueblo to continue to serve the community. And for that, we want to give glory, glory to God. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we are so grateful that not only you called us to proclaim the, the gospel with our words, but to demonstrate the power of the gospel with our deeds. Lord, you placed us in this community. You called us, Lord, to, to, uh, to serve our community, to seek their peace, to seek their flourishing. And I believe, Lord, that one of the ways we do it is through what we just did with Christmas Store.
Lord, I pray for all the seven families, seven people that came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that that will be just the beginning of a new generation of people that comes to know you. I pray, Lord, for the 12 different Bibles that we were able to give away. Lord, I pray that you move Holy Spirit in people's hearts so they feel the necessity of opening up the scripture and be transformed by it. Lord, I pray for every single one of the 98 people we pray for, Lord. Please listen to our prayers and do something on their behalf. Lord, I'm very grateful for the 100 to almost 200 people that we got to serve the 495 kids that we got to serve. I pray, Lord, not only that they get to enjoy a very good and pleasant and beautiful Christmas, but that they also come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the ultimate gift, the true Christmas. I'm grateful, Lord, for our church because we get to do this. I'm grateful, Lord, that we get to participate in something bigger than ourselves and get to contribute to what you're already doing in this community and this creation. Please continue to do that in us and through us. And now, Lord, we pray for the preaching of your word. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you illuminate our minds and you change our affections and influence our will. Because at the end of the day, even as Christians, we are still in desperate need of joy. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says. It's a special time of year where we as God's people set aside time to reorient our hearts on the truth of who Jesus is. But during times of increasing darkness, how do we again come to Advent, despite the trouble we see and face, to trust and believe in the truth of Jesus's character? It is important to remember that God's people have always faced overwhelming circumstances. The Israelites, the nation miraculously brought about by God who would bring forth the promised Messiah, consistently violated their covenant with God and suffered devastating consequences. Throughout the pages of scripture, we see so clearly how sin leads people down dark paths. But yet, we also see God sovereignly interrupt the painful circumstances and trials of life in order to bring hope, love, joy, peace. No space is too dark for God's light to shine. Scripture then reminds us who God is, has been, and will always be. In the birth of Jesus Christ, all the stories of God interrupting our world for His plans find their ultimate fulfillment. Amidst the darkness and uncertainty life brings, God seeks to not simply dispel the darkness, but bring the light of His glorious grace. Advent reminds us once again that the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the light of the world, is the interruption that led to our salvation being secured on the cross. Because of his victory over sin and darkness, we can forever experience the hope, love, joy, and peace God gives us. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, and I know that I have a famous name. For some people, my name is famous because of Hannibal the Great. 
the greatest North African-American, African-American, North African general who ever existed. Unfortunately, not many people know about that Hannibal. The Hannibal people know is about Hannibal Lecter, <laughs> a serial killer who used to eat people. And that's unfortunate. <laughs> I think that part of the reason why the Lord gave me the name Hannibal is because he wants to redeem that name. So we'll see if it's true. I want to welcome you all to our third week in a week of, uh, in our third week of Advent. And today, as you heard already, we're going to be talking about joy. And for that, we're going to be reading uh, Psalm 16. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. If you have your Bible, please go to Psalm 16. If not, we're going to put the words and the screen for you to read along. The word of the Lord says this, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of, of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. Verse 6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have, I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. Verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Lord, we ask that you speak to us again. Please, Lord, allow us to see and understand and believe that there is such a thing as joy. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say, you may take a seat. The three questions I'm going to try to answer today is, what is joy? Why do we need it, and how do we get it? What is joy, why do we need it, and how do we get it? Let's go with the first question, what is joy? King David, which is the person that wrote this psalm, in my opinion, in this text, especially in the last verse, has a very clear definition of what joy is, and why the joy that the Bible talks about is entirely different from the joy that the, that the world talks about. In modern times, the term joy is also used as a synonym of the word happiness. And I think that that's okay. As long as we make a distinction between what the culture calls happiness and what the Bible calls happiness. As long as we make a distinction between what joy, uh, how joy is used in the culture and how the Bible uses the concept of joy. So, Look what it says in verse 11. 
David says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And if you notice, I think that David is using the word joy and pleasures not necessarily as synonyms, but as two words that complement one another so we get the whole concept of what it means to have joy. So, for example, the word joy in the text, in the original language, can be translated as a feeling or as an attitude of cheerfulness, happiness, or gladness. Now, notice that I say that the word in the original can be translated as a feeling or as an attitude that we have that it feels like cheerfulness, happiness, and gladness. The word pleasures in the original can also be translated in different ways. It could be described as something that gives you pleasure, but it could also be described as something that you feel is lovely, that is delightful, or that produces happiness. See, from David's perspective, joy can be a feeling or an attitude, or a feeling and an attitude. Meaning that for David, joy is this thing that not only affects your mind, but affects your emotions. It's this understanding and this sense that regardless of what we're going through, we can experience joy both in our mind, in our hearts, in our affections, and in our emotions. That regardless of what we go through, you can experience cheerfulness, gladness, delight, and happiness, even if you don't feel it. Which is super interesting. Now, notice that I use the word experience. Experience is something that is greater in the Bible than just the things you feel. Experience in the Bible is something that you know. That the more you know, the more you feel. Now, the text is going to give us three reasons why joy is described that way. Why is it that joy is something that not only affects your mind, but affects your heart, affects your affections, and affects your emotions? And David is going to say in this text alone that the reason why that's the joy Christianity offers is because joy is divine, is not circumstantial, and is complete. Is divine, not circumstantial, and is complete. Why would I say that this joy is divine? Pay attention again to verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. See, that little phrase is extremely important. See, that little phrase makes the difference between secular world, if you will, and Christian, uh, uh, secular joy and Christian joy. That little phrase right there makes a distinction between what the culture calls happiness and what the Bible calls happiness. Notice that David says that the joy of the believer comes from the presence of God. Notice that David says that this joy is not something that we create. It flows from the presence of God. It's not, it's not something that we can manu manufacture or work for. It is something that comes from the presence of God. And I want to make the argument that when you and I struggle with worry or angry or anger or bitterness or impatience, it's because we are not spending enough time before the presence of God. 
I want to make the argument that when you are not experiencing joy, it's not because joy is not there, because the presence of God is always there, but because we are either not aware that we are before the presence of God, or we are not spending enough time in word and prayer before the presence of God. I don't know if you have ever experienced that, but that is true for me. The less time I spend before the presence of God, the more often I forget that I'm always before the presence of God, the more my heart struggles with worry or anger or bitterness or impatience. Actually, I went through one of these um, just a few weeks ago. I was going through something. Um, and it was one of those days, I'm assuming that you guys gone through this, but it's one of those days that you are so busy that the last thing you, the last thing you, you remember to do is to spend time with God right? Which is super interesting for someone that works in ministry, because this is what I do for a living. And yet, every now and then, it's easy for me to forget that the most important thing I could do for you is to spend time with God. So I was struggling a little bit. I go home uh, for lunch, and Heidi is there. My wife is there. And for about 20 minutes, I'm just complaining, you know, blah, 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 blah. And my wife is just sitting in front of me, and she's not saying anything. She just lets me process. Blah, 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 blah. That's all I'm doing. And then at the end of the 20 minutes, Heidi looks at me and says, did you spend, God with, did you spend time with God this morning? <laughs> and then I said, no. He says, maybe you should spend some time with God. And I say, okay, mommy. Yeah. <laughs> but she was right. See, there's a direct correlation or connection between what we feel, what we experience, our struggles, and the presence of God. Because joy is divine because it comes only from the presence of God. Now, if that is true, because David says it's true, then this joy is not only divine, but it has to be not circumstantial. Because if the presence of God is always with the believer, if God is always present, then our joy is never bound to any kind of circumstance or circumstances. Look at what it says in verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Look at what it says in verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. Both of these verses say something very similar. In verse 2, it says that there is nothing better than God. I have no good thing apart from you. That regardless of your circumstances, because God is always present and joy always comes from him, God is always good and his joy is always available even if you're going through difficult circumstances. And verse 5 says, he uses these two words that are very important, my portion and my cup. And a, a modern translation of that will be that God is our ultimate pleasure and our ultimate good. That he is our ultimate wealth. Now listen up, church. Part of the reason why in Christmas we need to remember this 
is because when we're going through difficult circumstances, it's so easy to forget that not only God is always present, that his joy always comes from him, but that he is our ultimate wealth, our ultimate pleasure, and our ultimate good. Therefore, joy is always guaranteed as long as God is present. The joy of the believer is never bound to any kind of circumstance. Because the presence of God is never bound to any kind of circumstance. Let me say that again so you could tweet it for those of you that have tweeted. A tweeter. The presence of God is not bound to any circumstance because the presence of God is never bound to anything or anybody. So when we struggle with joy, it's not because God is not there. When we struggle with joy, is that we forget that he's there. Actually, I want to make the argument that that's the main difference between Christianity and any other religion or philosophy that offers joy. That will be one of the main differences between Christianity, the joy that Christianity talks about, what any other religion or philosophy or culture talks about joy. See, I don't think that we are the only quote-unquote religion that talks about this thing. I think that all philosophies talk about joy. I think that all religions in the world talk about joy, but not the way Christianity describes it. So, for example, I'm going to give you some examples, and I hope nobody gets offended. Okay, here we go. If you grew up in a traditional setting, or you grew up in a traditional culture, your happiness is always bound to how happy your parents are with you, how happy your community is with you, and how much you know how to follow traditions. That's one of the characteristics of being in a traditional culture. They say, if you want to be happy, make sure that your parents are happy, that the culture is happy, that your community is happy, and that you follow traditions. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, not necessarily, unless your happiness is bound to the happiness of your parents, and your happiness is bound to the happiness of your community, and your happiness is because you is bound to the things you do well. You know what's the problem with that? That it doesn't matter how much you make your parents happy or your community happy or how much you follow traditions, happiness still goes away. So what then? That's why I think that people that seek for happiness in their relationships live these very exhausting lives. Always having to please somebody to feel happy. Don't you think that's sad? Now, if you're not part of a traditional culture, but you're part of the modern culture, the modern culture looks at that and says, well, you see, that's not how you get happiness. Forget your parents, forget the community, forget traditions, forget all of that. The way you pursue happiness is for you to make it happen. Don't care about people's opinions. Decide what is best for you. You create your own happiness. So this is the question that I would ask modern people. What happens when you try, and you try, and you try, and it doesn't matter how much you, you try, happiness continues to fade away? What then? So the modern culture comes back and says, well, keep on trying. You have the potential to be happy. And what happens when you continue to look and try and you never arrive? 
I actually think that this is part of the reason why we live now in a community full of angry people. Anger is the opposite of joy. Either we blame others or we blame systems or we blame things for our unhappiness. Maybe, 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 just maybe the reason why we struggle with happiness is because we are looking, at, looking for it in all the wrong places. I actually think that this is part of the reason why as a society, we are full of desperate people. Frantically looking for something that will make you feel something. I actually think that this is part of the reason why our community is full of self-hating people. Let me put it this way. If, mod if the modern culture says that you are responsible for your own happiness and you try and you try and you try and you're not there yet, in your head there's only one person to blame. Yourself. There has to be something wrong with me. And I wonder if this is part of the reason why in our individualistic society, depression, loneliness, anxiety, and suicide continue to increase. Maybe, 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 just maybe. People are looking for joy in all the wrong places. And Christianity offers something completely different. It's a joy that comes from the presence of God is divine. And because it's divine, it's not bound to anything or anyone because God cannot be bound to anything or anyone. My struggle with joy and your struggle with joy is not because joy is not available. It's because we continue to look for joy in all the wrong places. Joy is not only divine, joy is not only not circumstantial, but joy is also complete. Look at verse 11 again. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. The word fill there is a synonym of the word complete. Is that the joy that the Lord provides is complete satisfaction, complete fulfillment, complete contentment. The joy that we talk about in Christmas season is a joy that is divine, that is not bound to anybody or anything, and is complete. This is the only way we can actually explain why would Paul, being in prison, knowing that he's going to die, write a whole book about joy. I'll tell you what book I will write. How to escape prison. <laughs> now, how to live in joy. Don't you think that you need this today? You know, during our worship time, I'm thinking... Every year, I struggle with the topics we talk about every Christmas because I feel that every year we talk about the same things. But do you know why is it that we got to talk about the same things every year? Because we don't get it yet. Christmas is a good reminder that the ultimate joy only comes from the presence of God. That then, then leads me to the second question. Why do we need it? See, joy is not a suggestion for you. Joy is not a suggestion for me. Joy is something that we must have. And I'm going to give you two reasons why I say that we must have it. 
Two evidences that prove that we must have it, that we need it. Evidence number one is because that's the reason why we, we, we continue to look for it somewhere. And evidence number two is because it's part of the reason why we continue to struggle with idolatry. See, one of the evidences that we need joy is because we continue to look for it in all the wrong places. And number two, because we continue to struggle with idolatry. Let me talk about the first one. Why would I say that this is something that we're constantly looking for? I'm sure that you're familiar with this, but I'm borrowing this concept from C.S. Lewis. This is what he says. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well... There's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If we grab that concept and we apply it to joy, this is what I would say. If I find myself, if I find in myself a desire for joy, with no experience in this world can satisfy, and I keep looking for it, the most probable explanation is that I was made for joy that cannot be found in this creation. That's how I know that I need it. Because I keep looking for it. That's how I know that you need it. Because you keep looking for it. Do you have it? I think that these are some of the questions that you got to ask yourself. Why is it that nothing is ever enough? You got to ask that question. Why is it that you can never stop? You got to ask that question. Why is it that there's a temptation to exchange things for people? You got to ask that question. Why is it that many times we need something new? A new thing, a new person, a new experience. Why is it that sometimes we feel that life is boring? Maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe. You're still looking for joy. The fact that you keep looking is an evidence that you cannot live without it. And the second evidence... Is because we continue to struggle with idolatry. Now, where do I get that from? The, get that from the text. It's super interesting because David, in all Psalm 16, is talking about God, who God is, how, what God does, and what God gives. But right at the beginning, in verse four, he says this: "Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more." Don't you find that it awkward? He's talking about God, and then he brings this thing about idols right in the middle. And I think that part of the reason why David is making this comparison is because he knows that if we don't find our joy in God, we are going to look in for that joy in something created. You are going to look for another God that will provide the only thing that God can give you. You're going to look for joy in things. You're going to look for joy in people. You're going to look for joy in experiences. And you will look for joy in accomplishments. And that, my brothers and sisters, is called idolatry. It's when we are looking for that in places that are not God. 
Now, did you notice the word run? He didn't say that you walk to other idols or that you think about other idols, but that we run toward other idols. The word run in the text can be translated as to chase or to choose. Listen up, church. We are so desperate for joy that we either run, chase, or choose God daily. Or you will run, chase, and choose other gods. You know, I've been a pastor for now 18 years. I know, I look super young still, but it's 18 years. <laughs> and I've learned to identify what are the different idols that we struggle with through the different seasons. So this is almost like a self-assessment, okay? I offer it to you, and you think if it's right or not, all right? When you were little, the guys you were running after were your parents or your toys, but you didn't find what you were looking for. When you became an adolescent, the guys you were looking for or were running after were your friends or your toys, but you didn't find what you were looking for. When you became a teenager, the guys you were running after were your looks, your independence, your freedom, your popularity, and your grades, and your toys, but you didn't find what you were looking for. When you became a young adult, the gods you were running after were your recognition, education, relationship, self-sufficiency, and beauty, and your toys. But you didn't find what you were looking for. When you became a full-blown adult, the gods you were running after were your career, your possessions, your family, and your toys. But you still didn't find what you were looking for. When you became a maturing adult, and I think this is going to be personal. The gods you were running after were to be respected, to have influence, to have recognition, and to be appreciated. And your toys. And you still didn't find what you were looking for. Do you know why we do that? If you notice, we are always looking for some sort of toy. And two, if you notice, nothing is ever enough. Do you know why that is? Because we forget that joy only comes from the presence of God. Actually, David is as radical as to say that if we pursue idolatry, we will suffer more and more. That idolatry leads you to suffer more and more. So what kind of suffering is David talking about here? Well, this is what I think it means. That the suffering of being promised something and never getting it. That's what an idol do. Of the suffering of giving yourself away and in the end, and in the end finding yourself still empty. That's what an idol does. That suffering, uh, that suffering of having to give more and more and finding yourself never satisfied. That's what an idol does. That suffering and sacrificing, that suffering of sacrificing everything that matters, and at the end, nothing is enough. That's what idols do. 
I wonder if this is part of the reason why St. Augustine said, Restless is our heart until it comes to rest in you. And I would say, Joyless is our heart until it comes to find joy in you. Do you know why is it that we need to remember this every year? Because our hearts are still restless. And we still struggle with joyless. Question. How do we get that joy? See, I have three principles for you. Three practical applications. If joy comes from the presence of God, these are the three things that I think we should put into practice. Number one, learn to enjoy life, but remember that that joy is not your destination. Learn to enjoy what the Lord has given you because every good thing comes from the Lord. Those things are there for you to enjoy. But don't forget that those things, and I'm borrowing this from C.S. Lewis as well, those things are like signposts but not the destination. See, everything good that you go through life and everything good that you have in life are always pointing to the greatest joy. You know what our problem is? We settle for less things than the real thing. We settle for things that cannot give you this divine, not circumstantial, complete joy. Number two, run after God. Don't run after joy. Let me make it clear to you. If we go to God... So he give us joy, you will never find it. Because then we are using God as an end to our means. But the text tells you that joy comes from God. He is joy. That will be the difference between Christianity and religion. Religion says, do things, pursue these things, try these things. And when you do it, God is going to give you joy. And Christianity says, no, 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 pursue God. Get God. And when you get God in him, you find joy. See, this is the crazy thing about our lives, pursuing crazy things. That all those things eventually go away. Wasn't that true the first time you found love? That love went away. Wasn't that the reality when you found your first job? That job went away. Isn't that true when you think that joy comes from you looking super good? Yeah, your body changes. You don't look for God to give you joy. You look for God because he is joy. You get him, you get what you're looking for. And number three, Remember Advent. Remember that Advent is about Jesus coming to earth. Remember that Jesus came to earth to be the presence of God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Remember that Jesus is God with us that came to bring with him the joy that we so much need. Remember that the joy that Jesus brings with him is free to us but costly to him. 
Remember that our joy was his cross. Remember that it was his joy to give us joy. This is why Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Remember that his joy was for you to be forgiven. Remember that his joy was for you to have joy. Remember that because he came and he went to the cross, he's always at your right hand. Both verse 8 and verse 11 use exactly the same phrase. That he is at your right hand. Do you know what that means? If you were in court, the person that is standing on your right hand is your advocate. Is the person that represents you. And the Bible reminds us that Jesus is our advocate. He already represented you before the Father. And now he stands at your right hand. Do you know why that matters? Because the things that take your joy away, he already fixed. Is your, sin, is your sin keeping you from joy? Jesus says, remember, I already died for your sin. Is your guilt keeping you from joy? Jesus says, remember, because of what I did, you are already forgiven. Is your loneliness keeping you from joy? Jesus says, remember, you are not alone. I'm always with you until the end of the earth. Is your shame keeping you from joy? Jesus says, remember, you don't have to hide you already have been accepted. Remember. Remember Advent. Remember why Jesus came. Remember what Jesus did at the cross. And remember who you are in him. And I guarantee you that you will stop looking for joy in all the wrong places. You know why? Because joy, at the end of the day, is not a concept. It's a person. Jesus Christ, I'm him crucified. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray. Verse 11 over us. I pray, Lord, that you make known to us your path of life. And I pray, Lord, that you fill us with the joy of your presence. And along with the joy of your presence, Lord, that you fill us with the joy of our salvation. Can you please make that happen? Lord, please forgive us for every time we settle for anything less than what you want to give us, than what you want to give us. Please, Lord, allow us to understand and help us believe that what we truly need, it's already found in you. Please help us, Lord. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say... Let's stand and sing about that person of joy, Jesus Christ.
give a round of applause to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before finishing the service, I have three things to share with you really quick. Number one, I want to remind you that we love to pray for you. So if you have prayer requests, please use the QR code in front of you. And I guarantee you that we're going to be praying for you on Tuesday. Number two, I want to remind you that tonight there's going to be a party in this place. 6 p.m., we're going to be singing Christmas carols. We're going to have our choir, our orchestra, handbells, people dancing, all kinds of stuff here tonight. <laughs> no, not dancing? <laughs> Please come and join us. I think it's going to be awesome. We get to enjoy some of the beautiful Christmas carols. Um, and lastly, how about if we receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us? The blessing that is the one that produces joy in you. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face shine on us, so that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all the nations. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. You are sent.